And so today, as we go through Romans 8, I want you to do something for me. I want you to participate. And what I mean by that is read the Bible for yourself. Take notes so you remember what God revealed to your heart today. And plan sometime this week to listen to this message online. To refresh on what God is speaking to you. It's in Romans 8. We're literally, if time allows, we're going to go through the entire chapter together. And I want to show you how easy it is to study the Word of God. Now, I don't like to study. I never have. So it forces me to be able to teach you to do this, to do it myself. And so, first of all, what we're going to do, I know we just prayed, but we're just going to pray, God, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to us your living word. Your living, active word that when applied through Christ Jesus, it is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Holy Spirit, I'm depending on you to speak, but also to bring understanding to our hearts through your amazing, powerful, miraculous, life-giving word. In Jesus' name, amen. So now we're going to start, okay? So maybe some of you have never read an, read an entire chapter of the Bible in your life. Today is day one. So it's going to be awesome. So let's read, shall we? Just uh, go ahead and read along with me, uh, not, not out loud, because I'm going to be all over the place, as usual. Okay, so we start with verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to stop there because this is important. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to understand what it's there for. Okay? Now, Paul did not write in chapters. He wrote in a complete letter, a complete thought from chapter 1 all the way Daniel to chapter 16. Yes. Yes. He wrote the whole letter. Okay? He did not have chapters. The chapters and verses are for us to help study the word and kind of just follow along in the letter. So what is it there for? Well, go back a couple scriptures, if not the entire chapter, and understand what Paul is saying. He's saying, because of this, there is no condemnation. So because of what? So let's go look at chapter 24. Paul is talking about his bondage to sin in the flesh. He just, he desires more than anything to walk in the spirit of God, but the flesh just seems to pull him back and further down in a pit of despair. And he gets so angry and frustrated, I've been there, and says, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Okay, so then he gives us the answer to verse 1 in chapter 8. I thank God. It should be the next scripture, Tiff. Romans 7. Is the computer frozen? Okay. <laughs> Got my answer. Um, thanks be to God. Thanks be to 
God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying is because Jesus delivered us and has victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave, there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So that is good news. Who wants to be condemned for the rest of their life? (laughs) Exactly. This is really good news. And this should kind of get us at the edge of our seat and saying, okay, here's the answer. Jesus' deliverance and victory is the reason we can have no condemnation. So let's move on. Okay? Now we're going to enter into the hope of the gospel. And I should slow down real quick. On your notes, there's four bullet points. The first one is our hope through the gospel. And it's not, not going to be on the screen. Our hope through the gospel. We're going to look at that right now in, in just a minute. Number two, which we'll see in just a few minutes, life in the Holy Spirit. What it looks like to live a life in the Spirit. Okay? Number three is our assurance or uh, to kind of break it down a little bit so it's not so theological, confidence. Confidence because of the gospel. Do you know that you can have confidence of where you're going to spend the rest of your days in eternity because of the gospel? Okay? And then the last we're going to look at is God's amazing promises for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are led by the Spirit, and who are confident that God will carry through what he promised to do. And so now let's look at verse 3. No, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you, what's that word? Free. But here's the key. In Christ Jesus. Anything outside of Christ Jesus, there is no freedom. There is no hope, and we need to understand that. And this is where we get the hope through the gospel message. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of what? Sin and death. Sin leads to death, period. Okay? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Well, what is that? Well, let's read on. By sending his own son in the likeness of us, broken, sinful people who can no longer have a relationship with a holy, righteous God. Why? Because we're not righteous anymore. We are stained with the death sentence of sin. We have to understand that. If not, we will not understand the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus. That sets us free and brings no condemnation. Okay? So let's keep reading. So by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Did you catch that? What's the first sentence say? There is no condemnation. Why? It's because of this verse. It's because he sent his own son in likeness of us. Verse 3, and for sin he what? Can we say that out loud? He condemned sin. 
Because Jesus took our sin and was condemned to death on the cross, there is no condemnation for those who are in him. He took it and he bought you with a price. And so verse 4 says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what is all this jargon saying? This is the very power of the gospel. Our righteousness is nothing. If you look at Romans You can even look at Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. I'm jumping ahead, Tiffany. It says, none is righteous. Absolutely none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Do you realize why we need a Savior now? Do you realize that? And this is why the belief system... And the teaching that good works is going to get you into heaven is absolutely a lie from the pit of hell. No good work is going to get you into heaven. Don't believe that lie. The only thing that's going to get you into heaven is Jesus' righteousness being condemned to die on the cross for you. So that in Christ, and we're going to get to that in a minute, in Christ... You are the righteousness of Christ. That is a miracle in of itself. You see that? So write in your text. If you can write on your Bible, if you're just borrowing it, it's okay. Write on it too. Uh, In order that the righteous requirement of the law, Christ is righteousness. He's my righteousness. That is the only way we can have no condemnation. And so now, we're going to study and understand before we go forward, we're going to say, okay, what does it look like to be in Christ? And so I have a question for you. It's really simple, but yet incredibly complex. But every one of you needs to answer this for yourself. Why? Because your eternity is at stake in this question. And it's this. Why are you a Christian? Why do you follow Christ? Well, my mom and dad did. That's what I was taught in Sunday school, right? My wife believes, so I'm good. Why are you a Christian? Well, it's the only thing good out there. I'm not religious, but I'm going to get to heaven someday, right? Why are you a Christian? If you're going through the motions, just stop because it's not worth it. If you're here today on church just because you were dragged here, I'm so glad you're here. But that's not going to get you into heaven. You have to ask yourself, why are you following this Jesus Christ? And we have hundreds of thousands of proclaiming Christians in our world that have never understood why they call themselves a Christian. They just put the name tag on because most people do it, right? Why are you a Christian? Why do you follow Christ? I really want you to answer that and write that down. Why do I follow Christ? Because your answer is going to tell you 
whether you're living in religion or whether you're living in relationship. Religion and relationship are polar opposites. Religion is what you do. Relationship is who you are. And you could never do enough to get to God's heart because you're stained with sin. So what does Jesus do? He spells salvation out D-O-N-E. Done. It's finished. Stop. Stop living in religion. Stop trying to do. And now, start to walk in relationship with the one who was condemned and killed and crucified for you. Now that, now that is being a Christian. And there's power that comes, and we're going to get there in a minute. So i got to stick to my notes here. So, how do we become in Christ Jesus? I'm so glad you asked. So let's look to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we need to understand, okay, if, if all this is great, I want to be in Christ. So how do I do it? Right? Have you ever asked that question? And what's so sad is so many churches aren't teaching how you can be in Christ. So let's look at it. It says this, and because of him, who's him? God. God the Father. Because he loved us so much that he sent his son, right? Because of God. It does not say because of your good works. Or because of your decision to follow him. Or because you did this. Or because you are special to him. I mean, you are. But that's not the very reason. And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. There's our answer. We're in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, rich in his mercy, has saved you in Jesus Christ. So it's a work of God. The wisdom of God. The righteousness and sanctification. That really spiritual term, it just means growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's just after we're saved by Christ because of God, we grow more like Jesus. Isn't God's word awesome when it breaks down? If I can understand it, I promise any of you can understand it. Now let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. You can look at the screen. You don't have to go back and forth. And you who were, what's that word? Dead. You know the movie Princess Bride? Not almost dead. Completely dead. Lifeless in your sin and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our sins by canceling the record. How did he cancel? He sent Jesus to die in our place. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by what? Nailing it to the cross. Let's go to Galatians 
How are we in Christ? It says, for I have been crucified with Christ. So something in the spirit is happening. I am dying, crucified. I am dying to my sinful self. It is not I, no longer I, who lives, but who? Christ, who lives within me. And then Ephesians 2.8 tells us how this happens. We are in Christ by one word and one word alone. Grace. Do you know what grace means? Write this down in your Bible. Unmerited favor. Favor you don't deserve. For by grace you have been saved, and this is not your own doing. It is the what? Gift of God. It is a gift. And we need to understand this before we get to the latter verses. Because when we get to those of you who know, knows, know the word here, knows what's coming. Verse 28 and verse 29 are highly debated amongst the theological Christians of our days and for hundreds if not thousands of years. And so we need to understand this first of how are we in Christ before we get to the other stuff. Okay? So, let's go to verse 5. Are you with me? Okay. For those who live according to the flesh, and the live means not just like what you do this day, an action. It means how you live your life. It's your lifestyle. It's your DNA. It's who you are. It's your identity, either in Christ, in the spirit, or in the flesh. Does that make sense? Okay. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on flesh is what? Death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For, I'm looking here, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws, indeed it cannot. If you're, if you're confused, just write Romans 1 down and go to that today because it tells us how we turned against God. We traded a lie in exchange for, well, we traded God's truth in exchange for a lie. And that's what he's talking about. Because of that, we are hostile in the fleshly nature. So, picture with me. Remember the time that you were actually birthed out of your mother's womb? You remember that? Okay. The first breath you took was of this sinful world. The flesh. The mind of the flesh. So all of a sudden, you're being wired and your DNA is being wired to the things and the ways of the world. Why do you think this world is so dark and confused? It's not the people's fault. It's sin's fault. And so we need to understand that the mind of the flesh is so hostile and rebellious to God. And that's why we should have compassion on those who don't believe in God. Who hate God. Who say they will never believe in God. Why? It's because that's their sinful, fleshly nature. They don't know better. They don't know God. God has not truly been revealed to them yet. 
And so I want to ask you a question. Where is your mind, not just your physical mind, but it's saying the mind of the spirit versus the mind of the flesh. Where is your mind? And what I mean by that is, am I operating from day to day more in the flesh, the things of this world? Or am I operating in the mind of the spirit? Because if you want to answer the question of, am I in Christ, go to the tree and check its fruit. Where are you being mindful and where are you being in relationship with the Spirit of God? There will be fruit. And if you're being mindful and operating in the flesh, there's going to be fruit of that. Do I fix my thoughts more on how the unbelieving world thinks? Or do I fix my thoughts on the things of the kingdom of God? And you need to ask that. Because we're going to see as we go further that the spirit is proof that you are in Christ. Okay? So let's, let's keep going. So now we're going to go to the topic of life in the spirit. Life in the spirit. Repeat after me. It's a spirit thing. It's a spirit thing. Yes, it is. It's a spirit thing. Our spiritual world is so much more real than our physical world. So verse 9. Are you ready? Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. Identity right there. That is not you. You are not in the flesh. So stop it. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, now listen, here it is. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, there it is. You want to know you're in Christ? Check the fruit and make sure the spirit of God dwells in you. Yes, the spirit of God can dwell in you and there be very little fruit because you're not connected to the, the roots of the spirit, okay? But that's usually a sign that you need to realign and really start to surrender to what God wants to do in your life. So let's, let's keep going. So anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I did not say that. Romans 8. The apostle Paul said that. So you want to know if you're in Christ. Have you received the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ? His life, his newness, his goodness, his power, his breath in your life through Jesus Christ. So we have to believe in Jesus Christ. But then the receiving is the receiving his new life. That is what Paul's talking about. And so if you don't have, if you don't have the spirit, you're not in Christ. Okay? And so towards the end, we're going to get to that application. And so how can you know if you're in Christ? The Spirit of God lives inside of you. There's a slide here that says, although we may have eternal life, we still live in our earthly bodies that are subject to death. Stop there. Because of sin, all of us will die unless Jesus returns before that. Okay? All of us are bound to the sinful consequences and it's called death to our earthly 
bodies. Okay? says, and we will die one day unless the Lord returns before we die. However, by the Spirit of God, we have been made partakers of the risen life of Christ. This is your identity, y'all. This is who you are if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so reading on, verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, because of righteousness, remember that whole part about righteousness? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, get this, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Meaning, when you die, if you are in Christ and the spirit of God lives in you, your bodies are going to take on a whole new form because of the power that lives in you through the spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 says this about the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to do a study on the Holy Spirit. Because if indeed the Bible tells us that we are not in Christ unless we have the dwelling of the Spirit inside of us, then that's a big deal. Then we need to understand what this looks like, right? Are you with me? So 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple? Of the Holy Spirit within you. There it is. God said it himself. Your body is the spiritual temple of God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. The righteousness of Jesus. You are heirs with Christ. We need to understand our identity. Because if we don't understand our identity. We're going to live out the identity that we think we have. That's why CR says the struggle, the addiction, whatever you're going through is not your identity. Your identity is only in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that. Sorry, I like to get passionate about this stuff because it sets you free. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. This is one of my favorite verses. In him meaning Christ Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. This is salvation right here. This is it. This is the act of conversion or rebirth. So we believe, and then what happens? You're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous, supernatural thing that when you believe and you receive God, And that free gift of salvation, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is awesome. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So as we go into Romans, verses 12 and on, it's talking about this very thing. Possession of it. We are In Christ, and the Spirit lives in us, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. However, we are not fully complete in Christ as we will be when we die and leave this earthly body and take on the fullness of Christ. And so, the rest of this, this section coming up, verse 12 through like verse 20, I think, talks about the longing of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. So it's not yet... But it's already happened. Does that, does that make sense? It's happening, but it's not yet. It's not full yet. 
So let's go to verse 12. I'm sorry I'm going all over the place, but Romans 8 is thick. So then, so then means because of this, so then, because our body is dead to sin but alive in Christ, so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Wow, that's encouraging. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Hmm. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You want to know if you're in Christ? You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you because of Jesus. And also, your spirit cries out. Abba Daddy. And so now your identity becomes not slaves to sin, not slaves to fear and worry, like so many of you are just bound up in that stuff. But you are now children of the living God. You're kings and queens, you are royal priests, you are more than conquerors, which I'm getting ahead of myself because that's coming in Romans 8. Man, we need to make this like a six part series. So we cry out, Abba, Daddy, verse 17. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs to God's throne. That should wreck your mind a little bit. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Which then goes to our confidence in Christ Jesus. And for the sake of time... I'll let you study verses 18 through 26 yourself. Talking about your confidence that you have in Christ. For from the beginning, the foundations of the earth, creation groans for the fulfillment of Christ. It's the already and the not yet as I was telling you. And so... We need to look at that to know that we can have confidence that God will fulfill what he says he will do. So I want to just end in the last part of Romans and God's amazing promises starting with verse 28. So go there if you're there. If you're not there, go there. And we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. That is good news, my friend. Do you realize that all the crud that you're going through, if you allow God to be God, he will work such good through the mess that you have in your life. Right, Jim? Right, Gary? Yeah, he works it all out for good. He works it out for good. Nothing in your life has to be a waste. If you let God be God, he will work it for your good. For those who he foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So I'm going to define terms for you, and then we're going to close an application, and I think we're going to have to teach on Romans 8 next Sunday as well. So let's, before we kind of lose our focus, let's, let's look at the terminology of this, because this is the verse that Christian theologians are on one side or the other. You have the Calvinists, you have the Armenians, you have those who like to just, like me, like to be in the middle and kind of find common ground. This is, this is terminology for these words here. Definitions. Foreknew. When he says, whom he foreknew, means he knew you. God knew you before you were even a thought. He knew you beforehand. Predestined means he chose you. He divinely, spiritually, supernaturally chose you. Justified, we talked about that in the first part of God becoming, Christ becoming our righteousness. Justified is just a legal act of God considering us not guilty. Considering us forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us. And what does glorified mean? It means what all of those who are in Christ Jesus are going to experience at the end of this earthly life. It's when sin is going to be finally removed once and for all. And God is going to have his kingdom of heaven and earth. And everything is going to be under his authority and his reign. And we will be like Christ. That's a lot, isn't it? So let's review. We have the hope of the gospel message that if we believe Jesus Christ is who he says he is and we receive his Holy Spirit, we can have life and life to the full. And then his Holy Spirit teaches us how to live and have victory and freedom over it all. Band, would you come up as I ask these three questions? Number one, what is your hope built on? What is your hope built on? These are important questions to really ask yourself, am I a Christian? And why am I a Christian? And what does this all mean for my life? What is your hope built upon? Question number two, What kind of fruit is being produced in your life? Take an inventory. What kind of fruit? I'm not talking about apples or oranges. I'm talking about what is your life producing? Is it things of this flesh? Anger, pride, worry, anxiety, selfishness, jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness, self-righteousness? Or are you producing consistently the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We need to ask ourselves, where where are we walking? What, What choices are we making? Because whatever choice we make is what we produce in our life. Last question. Do you 
have unwavering confidence in God's love and promises. We didn't even get to the last part that tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. If you're in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Would you stand with us? Just take a minute to (laughs) try to unpack all of that. Because that is why Romans is considered the greatest chapter of the whole Bible. It's because if there's one chapter that you could take with you and leave the rest behind. I'm not saying to do that. But it would be chapter 8 of Romans, my opinion. Because it gives you the gospel message. It gives you the hope of living in Christ with the confidence that if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Father. We need you. And so I just pray in our hearts that we would respond to the gospel message between our hearts and your hearts. We ask for forgiveness, God, for our sins. We understand that it is due to our sin that we are eternally separated from you forever. And the penalty of sin is death. But God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to pay that penalty, to become our sin, for us to become his righteousness, and to have your life through your Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to be living inside of us, breathing and moving and having your being within us. And so, Lord, would you lead all of us closer to your heart in understanding your word and allowing your Holy Spirit to have its way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.